With the 2022 midterms more or less behind us now, the opening shots of the next presidential campaign are already being fired. While the results shed some light on some processes, the political waters are, in many other ways, even muddier than before. But one thing is absolutely clear. Unless and until American workers build a class-independent political party to fight for their interests, the cross-class polarization and demoralizing ping-pong between evil D and evil dumb will continue. America will never be a socialist country. 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 Attitudes are changing towards socialism. We believe the only solution is the establishment of a workers' government on a socialist program. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Socialist Revolution podcast. My name is John Peterson. I'm the executive editor of Socialist Revolution magazine. You can visit our website at www.socialistrevolution.org. Every episode, we feature contributions and discussions on current events, history, and theory from a Marxist class struggle perspective, featuring revolutionary socialists from around the country and around the world. This episode, we're focusing on the editorial for the November-December 2022 edition of Socialist Revolution, issue 36, which goes to press this week. In it, Tom Trottier and I offer a Marxist postmortem on the recent midterm elections. Bourgeois elections offer an incomplete but illuminating snapshot of society's mood at a given moment. In the context of growing instability and polarization, we should expect competing cross-currents of consciousness to be expressed at the ballot box. This is especially true when the working class is under attack and no viable class-independent alternative is available. CNN summarized the national mood on election day with the headline, A dispirited nation worn down by crisis votes at the polls today. Pundits on both sides of America's narrow mainstream political spectrum expected this to be a more or less typical midterm, with an unpopular incumbent and rampant inflation leading to a wholesale rejection of the party in power. A Republican wave of some type appeared to be all but guaranteed. And yet the picture that has emerged from the results is not so clear-cut. While the Republicans seem likely to win control of the House of Representatives, if they do win, their margin of victory will be underwhelming. Meanwhile, control of the Senate remains up in the air, with contests in Arizona and Nevada not yet decided, and a runoff in Georgia set for December 6th. Decades of real wage cuts and stagnation have angered millions of workers and enraged the petty bourgeoisie. Identity politics has been fully embraced by both major parties, with a war on wokeness waged by one side and the specter of fascism raised by the other. Immigration, racism, crime, and abortion are used cynically to scare up votes and to raise money. To capitalize on the mood of discontent, both the liberal and conservative propaganda machines hit the culture war panic button to mobilize voters to the polls. Big money and enormous power are up for grabs, which explains the staggering $16.7 billion spent on this electoral cycle alone. Now, everyone will remember that last summer, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, robbing millions of a basic right in place for nearly 50 years. After doing nothing for decades to write the right to abortion into law, Biden had the audacity to declare, this fall, Roe is on the ballot, 
as if electing Democrats would somehow win back that right. While on the campaign trail for Democratic candidates, Obama doubled down on this theme, arguing that only his party will, quote, fight for your freedom. Despite the ingrained cynicism in all this, however, these arguments appear to have had some impact. The rising confidence of the far-right fringe of Trumpist election deniers, January 6 rioters, and polling station intimidators led to a counter-response and substantially reduced the swing towards the Republicans. Millions of workers instinctively understand what Trump 2.0 would mean for them, and the other party was the default beneficiary, even if everyone is already dissatisfied with that party. Make no mistake, Trumpism is alive and well, but millions of Americans were unwilling to let the lunatics who have taken over the GOP run the entire country. Midterm elections tend to have abysmally low voter turnout. The party in the White House has lost seats in the House of Representatives in every midterm since the 1930s, with the exceptions of 1996 and 2002. In those two elections, the president had 60% approval ratings. Now, in the red wave of 1994, the Democrats lost 54 seats, and in 2010, it was even worse and they lost 63. In more normal years, the White House party tends to lose around 20 seats or more out of the 435 total seats in the House of Representatives. But 2022 bucked the historical trend, and some states saw some of the highest ever turnout for a non-presidential election. Although Biden has a low approval rating in the low 40s, it looks as though the Democrats will have a net loss of fewer than 10 seats. Young people and women turned out in significant numbers to fight for abortion rights and to vote against the MAGA Republicans. In one of the night's surprises, one of the most MAGA Republicans of them all, Lauren Boebert, may have lost what was considered to be a safe seat in Colorado. When the New York Times podcast, The Daily, asked voters how these elections were different, one person responded, I'm a little more desperate now, a nervous desperation, like I really do feel like if things don't change, you know? And when asked what was at stake, another interviewee replied, our children's lives. One young voter's take was that, Quote, as a young person, like, if I want to see change, like, I got to vote for more young people. I got to get all these old people out. I'm really hoping to see a change by the time I'm like 30. Now, hundreds of thousands of votes are yet to be tallied, but the initial results indicate that overall turnout still wasn't as high as it was in the 2018 midterms when the Democrats harnessed anti-Trump sentiment in the suburbs. According to the Washington Post, 2022 turnout in Pennsylvania is on track to exceed 2018 by 4%, and nearly 6 in 10 eligible voters in Wisconsin and Michigan cast the ballot. But in a handful of states, voter enthusiasm fell far below 2018 levels and was more on par with the record lows of 2014. In Mississippi and West Virginia, less than 35% of eligible voters participated. In New Jersey and Maryland, turnout is anticipated to be 10% lower than 2018. And although it was celebrated as a win by analysts, just 27% of voters aged 18 to 29 cast a ballot this year. A supermajority of 73% of young people couldn't be bothered to go to the polls. Millions of youth have no illusions in the farce of American democracy with its gerrymandering, voter suppression, and two parties in the pockets of the billionaires. Mass abstention on this scale shows the colossal potential for a new party that expresses the interests of the working class majority. World capitalism is in an organic crisis and state of decline, and there is no exception for American capitalism. 
even in the best of times, economic crises are part and parcel of the system. Any policy implemented by the ruling class to try to avert or rectify these periodic downturns only leads to bigger problems in the future. The Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden administrations all use the state to bail out and prop up the market economy using both fiscal and monetary policies. But these measures, compounded by the pandemic and the chaos of an unplanned economy, have led to high inflation. Now, in a desperate effort to tame rising prices, they're implementing measures that will lead to an economic slump and even greater pain for the working class. This is the context the elections took place in, and the results were therefore distorted by the fact that there's no Workers' Party representing the more advanced layers of the class. With no lead given by the labor leaders or the so-called socialist in Congress towards a class-independent alternative, the workers were divided and millions were compelled yet again to vote more against the Democrats or against the Republicans than for either party. In the 2020 election, the Democrats won the presidency, retained their majority in the House, and gained control of the Senate as millions voted against Trump. But now they've been in power for two years, controlling both the executive and the legislative branches of government. What did they do with that power for the working class? Did they write Roe v. Wade into law, raise the minimum wage, or provide quality education, childcare, and healthcare for all, free at the point of service? Of course they didn't. On their watch, instead, inflation rose by 8.2% over 12 months while wages grew by just 4.7%. The net result is a 3.5% cut in purchasing power in a single year. And yet the election campaign was not a substantive debate on these or other working class issues. Instead, everyone blamed everyone else for what is, at root, a problem of capitalism itself. While appealing to workers for their votes, neither party made a national issue of the campaigns to organize the unorganized at several major companies. There was no national campaign to back the Alabama miner strike or any positive mention of the potential for a strike by railway workers. There was no national debate about raising wages, indexing them to inflation, or reducing the work week. Nothing about the fight for free universal health care and education or the need for affordable housing for all. Rising street crime was a hot-button issue, but neither party addressed the fact that capitalism and decay underlies this and other social ills. Instead, what we saw were crude personal attacks, strawman arguments, and fear-mongering. But class issues are stubborn things, and they eventually find a way of asserting themselves. As an example, 56% of voters in the traditionally Republican state of South Dakota approved a measure to expand Medicaid. And in deep red Nebraska, the electorate voted nearly 60-40 to raise the state's minimum wage. Nevada voters also approved an increase in the minimum wage and added the words equal rights for all to the state constitution. An anti-abortion referendum was defeated in Mitch McConnell's home state of Kentucky by 53%, while in Michigan, 56% approved the right of abortion. Polls also show widespread support for unions as some workers at Starbucks, Trader Joe's, Apple, and Amazon try to organize. All this shows the vast potential for a mass working class socialist party campaigning on workers' issues and for a workers' government. Now, by design, the U.S. Constitution gives more weight to conservative rural areas and less to urban concentrations of the working class. Once a source of societal stability, this setup has backfired on the ruling class as the rural areas are now largely Trump strongholds and Trump and a small group of capitalists around him have effectively gone rogue. 
Although he's a bourgeois himself, Trump cares only for his own egotistical interests. He couldn't give a damn about the interests of the ruling class and the American capitalist as a whole. His extreme individualism is a perfect expression of the values of the system he represents and defends. As president and now ex-president, Trump is greatly added to the cynicism and instability of the system. One of the goals of the ruling class in this election was to develop a block of Democrats and traditional Republicans to serve as a firewall against the MAGA Republicans. This coalition of the Democrats, plus establishment people like Liz Cheney on the Republican side, appears to have been at least partially successful. They will use these election results to bolster their efforts to marginalize Trump, who appears poised to officially announce his 2024 presidential campaign on or around November 15th. Now, remember, the Democrats won the 2020 elections by campaigning against Trump, but now with high inflation, they're taking the blame, and all of that can put the wind in Trump's sails for 2024. Trump and his followers are bold and aggressive, and they're willing to fight for their dark vision of the world, posing as outsiders against the establishment. Meanwhile, the Democrats are timid and effete, and they have very little political talent. Given that situation, they even had to drag Barack Obama out of retirement to raise the morale of voters in the midterms. Most importantly, their problem is that they're ruling over a system and a society in crisis. On that basis, they cannot inspire genuine enthusiasm or hope for the future, no matter what they promise. As for the Republicans, they are in an open and public civil war over the party's future. Assuming they win control of the House, Trump acolyte Kevin McCarthy will likely be the next speaker, but that's by no means guaranteed. With only a slight majority and a party divided between the MAGA faction, those who go along with MAGA for political expediency, and a few establishment types, it will not be easy to maintain control over the Republican caucus. The days of a strong, dictatorial Speaker of the House, which was premised on a strong economy and stable political situation, are long over. Despite these problems, we shouldn't discount the hold that Trump and those like him have over the party. Sociopaths like Marjorie Taylor Greene may still be outliers in the general population, but as the crisis of the regime of U.S. capitalism has worsened, they've wormed their way deeper into the party and into the state institutions, and most importantly from their perspective, they have the ear of the Republicans' outraged base of voters. Even with a small majority, House Republicans would set the tone, and with her base as a battering ram, MTG would likely secure some juicy and powerful committee positions. All of this is chaotic enough, but there's yet another political dynamic in the mix, and that's the effort by some to offer Trumpism without Trump, with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis leading the charge. DeSantis's shtick is to peddle Trump-like political policies and outrage against liberals and the status quo without the many liabilities that haunt the original article. DeSantis and those backing him are betting that enough people would abandon Trump in favor of a somewhat cleaner and more reliable set of hands. Given Trump's ego and DeSantis's intentions, the former president has already broken publicly with his former ally, setting the stage for a down-and-dirty showdown in the 2024 Republican primaries. Because despite some solid wins for Trump-backed candidates, there were some prominent defeats in places like Pennsylvania, and it's been rough going in Georgia, Arizona, and elsewhere, and this will all fuel the flames of a DeSantis candidacy. Now, in classic Trump fashion, the former president offered the following Teflon-like prediction ahead of the election. He said, quote, I think if candidates I backed win, I should get all of the credit, and if they lose, I should not be blamed at all. But it will probably be just the opposite. <laughs>
For his part, without Trump's support, DeSantis was able to win re-election with 59% of the vote and continue his rise to national prominence. Already, many former Trump diehards are jumping ship and hopping on the DeSantis bandwagon. In the midterm's aftermath, Georgia's Republican Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan told CNN, There's no way to deny that Donald Trump got fired Tuesday night. The search committee has brought a few names to the top of the list, and Ron DeSantis is one of them. Ron DeSantis is being rewarded for a new thought process with Republicans and that solid leadership. Rupert Murdoch's news empire has also broken with Trump and is using its mighty propaganda machine to back its preferred champion of anti-wokeness. The New York Post emblazoned the words, The Future, on its front page headline, alongside a photo of DeSantis and his family celebrating their win. And as former House Speaker Newt Gingrich said on Fox and Friends, quote, I think Governor DeSantis is the single biggest winner of the night. He will almost certainly become the rallying point for everybody in the Republican Party who wants to move beyond President Trump. With all that being said, though, Trump still has a tight grip on the minds of the rabid ranks of the party, as well as big swaths of its base of donors, both large and small. Everything has an expiration date, and Trump himself will eventually fully wear out his welcome in the party he has crashed. But he has more than nine lives and should by no means be counted out of politics. Win or lose, he can cause tremendous disruption and devastation. He would have no qualms about taking down his own party if his personal hubris and brand would benefit as a result. Now, in 2016 and 2020, Bernie Sanders gained massive popularity when he called for a political revolution against the billionaire class. Unfortunately, instead of using those campaigns to build a mass working class socialist party, he backed Hillary Clinton and then Joe Biden. In tail ending the non existent progressive bourgeoisie, people like Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, and the rest of the squad, as well as DSA, have played a thoroughly reactionary role. Far from being opposed to the present Biden administration, they support it and give it left cover. After years of pursuing this strategy, we have to ask, how has this apologism for the so-called lesser evil helped to build support for socialism? The capitalist system has nothing progressive left to offer humanity. Its historic role was to develop the productive forces, improve labor productivity, and build up the modern proletariat, that is, the working class. After centuries of suffering, exploitation, and oppression, the objective conditions have now been laid for socialism, which can end all exploitation and national divisions and bring human society to new heights. In the struggle to establish capitalism against pre-capitalist modes of production and exploitation and their related superstructures, there were progressive elements among the bourgeois. Certainly, Lincoln's role in the U.S. Civil War and the elimination of chattel slavery was progressive. However, the days of a progressive bourgeoisie ended long ago with the advent of the highest stage of capitalism, imperialism. The many ills afflicting the working class are not the result of the policies of a reactionary wing of the capitalist class, but are byproducts of the contradictions of the system as a whole, which again is in terminal decline. Even if there were such a thing as a so-called progressive wing of the capitalist class, it couldn't solve the system's problems and contradictions either, since the only way to do that would be to eliminate capitalism altogether. To be sure, a lot of people will argue that while there may be little difference between the Republicans and Democrats on economic issues, there are important differences on social issues. But whenever these questions are entrusted to the Democratic politicians, lawyers, the courts, the judges, the end result is always a net negative for the working class. 
Genuine socialists must not sow any illusions in the Democrats who are incapable of addressing social issues or questions of oppression in a meaningful way. Real reforms do not result from voting for the lesser evil, but are a byproduct of real class struggle. History shows this time and again. Just take a look at the question of foreign policy, which is a continuation of domestic policy in defense of the ruling class's interests. There can be differences among the rulers, but this does not mean that one has a genuinely pro-working class policy. We can see this with the war in Ukraine or the latest talk of military intervention in Haiti. The American working class has no interest in supporting U.S. imperialism's reactionary role around the world, and we must oppose our ruling class's policy. Even the so-called progressive caucus of the Democrats, led by Congresswoman Jayapal, has played a reactionary role. They stood behind Biden's Ukraine war policy, and when they finally put out a very muted criticism, they quickly retracted it for the sake of party unity. But the only unity this expresses is the unity of the capitalists against their own workers and the workers of the world. Democrats will be sure to use the results of the midterms to argue that they are in fact the only ones who can stop Trumpism, even though it was their policies and failures that led to this monster's rise in the first place. The Democrats avoided all-out disaster by the skin of their teeth, thanks only to those who held their noses and voted for them despite their dissatisfaction with the president. And what was Biden's post-election response? It was to call for even greater compromise with the Republicans where it makes sense. That is to say, where it makes sense for the interests of the capitalists as a whole. This starkly reveals the real nature of the coalition of the bourgeois that is the U.S. government. As Marx explained long ago, the executive of the modern state is but a committee for managing the common affairs of the whole bourgeoisie. Barely hanging on to the status quo is hardly an inspiring or sustainable vision for the future. With what will likely be a divided Congress and an unpopular president, the Democrats will be even more impotent in the run-up to 2024. This is what the politics of deadlock in a society at an impasse looks like. With little to show for their efforts yet again, many will fall into dejection and demoralization. However, growing layers of the population, and particularly the youth, are looking to Marxism and communism for an alternative. They can remember the heady days of the summer of 2020 and understand that only the socialist revolution offers a solution. And this is where the international Marxist tendency can build for the future. There's no escaping the world crisis of capitalism, and the future of life in capitalist America will be very turbulent. Like Britain, the U.S. was once a core pillar of worldwide capitalist stability, but this has now turned into its opposite. There will be no lasting economic, social, or political stability or security for the working class. The capitalist system demands austerity, including attacks on Social Security and Medicare, which Republicans have promised to take up. Workers will have no choice but to fight back at the workplace, in the streets, and eventually through a mass political party of our own. Because attacks on racial minorities, immigrants, women, LGBTQ people, and the youth will only be intensified. The rise in street crime will be used to clamp down even harder on the poor as part of the racist backlash against the failure of the George Floyd movement to fundamentally change society. And the worsening climate crisis will continue to threaten the very existence of the modern world. So we can be sure that the crisis of the regime of U.S. capitalism will continue to be expressed in politics, and 2024 promises to be a momentous and tumultuous year, no matter the result. 
With the 2022 midterms more or less behind us now, the opening shots of the next presidential campaign are already being fired. While the results shed some light on some processes, the political waters are, in many other ways, even muddier than before. But one thing is absolutely clear. Unless and until American workers build a class-independent political party to fight for their interests, the cross-class polarization and demoralizing ping-pong between evil D and evil dumb will continue. It's up to the Marxists today to build up the forces that can provide clear ideas and a bold revolutionary program to that future party. Because concern over the country's future is widespread, and we have to ask, what kind of country should we be fighting for? A country dominated by a handful of ultra-wealthy social parasites, or one where the laboring majority democratically runs things in the interests of all? It's ultimately about whether or not capitalism can survive in the next historical period. It is too unstable and riven by contradictions to continue in the old way, and this explains the vicious divisions at the top and the distorted polarization among the workers. Despite huge levels of abstention and considerable doubts and misgivings on both sides, the midterms show that millions of people want a voice and a vote in how society is run. But the bourgeois electoral process is used to reinforce the idea that individuals, as individuals, can have an impact. But in reality, the real power in society is wielded by those with serious wealth, and individual workers with their votes cannot have an impact unless we band together as a whole, collectively, as a class. The elections also show that the sheer mass of the working class is a force to be reckoned with, but it must be organized and given conscious expression. And when that happens, nothing will be able to stop it. Only a mass workers' party and a workers' government can give the majority a real say over our collective future. To give just one example, in 2021, workers produced an average of roughly $208,000 in goods and services per employee, but most of this wealth went into the pockets of the richest 10%. A workers' government would take those trillions of dollars produced by our labor every year and use it to ensure that everyone's needs are met. Now, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, the revolutionary left is not yet big enough to win anything approximating mass support. We need to bridge the gap between the evident potential for a class-independent workers' party and the small forces of Marxism. We must tell the truth to the working class. There is no solution within capitalism, and the working class can trust only its own forces. At this stage, this is primarily a battle of ideas, but since Marxist ideas accurately reflect the experience of the working class, they will gain more and more support over time. When we have a larger organized presence, then we can really start to impact events. The IMT is working to build a working class alternative, and we know there are no shortcuts. Anyone out there who's looking for a serious solution and wants to put in hard work, wants to learn, and wants to actually do something to change the world should join us today. The clock is ticking and there's no time to waste. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Big thanks, as always, to Laura Brown, our audiovisual producer, whose hard work behind the scenes makes these episodes possible. 
If you liked what you heard today, please share, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating, which will help other listeners find us. Or consider making a donation to the International Marxist Tendency or subscribing to Socialist Revolution magazine. Better yet, why not join the IMT and bring these ideas to your family, friends, neighbors, and co-workers. You can learn more about the IMT and about getting involved at socialistrevolution.org. Stay healthy and safe and keep fighting the good fight, the fight for socialism in our lifetime.